Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, March 24th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Kiev O'Neill from the Oddsbreakers. We're going to chat some NCAA tournament. We'll work in a little bit of NIT as well here on today's edition of the podcast. Over at ATS.io, put a preview up this morning of UFC 260. Rooting for Stipe Miocic against Francis Naganu, Cleveland guy, you know, got to root for Stipe. Not sure it works out in his favor, but you can read about that over at ATS.io. Got my thoughts up on all of the Sweet 16 games. Got my 2021 MLB betting guide with the season just eight days away. I uh, just updated our Masters odds piece, so we got some new looks at the upcoming odds for the first major here April 8th through the 11th. Lots of stuff going on over at ATS.io for you to check out. Not just my work, but also some fine work being done by our very talented cast of writers. You can get that either over at the website or if you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. Full article integration in that. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen, got a stats database, a premium subscription model, all kinds of good stuff in that ATS app for you to check out. Whether you have an Android or an iOS device, download that today. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. And Kiev, how's it going today, man? Doing well, Adam. You know, we uh, have a great tournament here from a fan perspective, man. We have uh, big Cinderella's coming in, and we have some big disappointments as well. Well, let's go ahead and start with those big disappointments. And, uh, you know, you and I have talked a lot of Big Ten basketball over our segments here on ATS Radio. And, of course, I'm in Big Ten country. You're originally from Big Ten country. And uh, it has not gone well for the conference. One team left standing here. It's the Michigan Wolverines who had plenty of issues with LSU in that second-round game. And I expect them to have lots of issues here with Florida State as well. But now, what what an extremely disappointing tournament for the best conference in the country. (laughs) Yeah, man. I mean... And I kind of, I, I did mention that I, I didn't have a big 10 team in my final four. I was, I thought they're a little bit overrated and I, I didn't see the, I, I didn't expect them to only have one team out of nine though here. I mean, that's, that's even more than I expected. So, but that's just how, it, how it goes. I didn't like how they were seated in the brackets. It's like, I wish that Illinois was on the uh, Michigan side and Michigan was on the uh, Illinois side. Then I would have been probably more prompted to put Illinois in my final four instead of a Florida state. But you know, when, as soon as Illinois lost, I thought, I thought I had a leg up on any, everybody in the whole bracket tournament, but Oregon state beats Oklahoma state and Oklahoma state was my other uh, team then in the final four. So there you go. I think uh, from a tournament standpoint, if you have three of the final four, right. And both of the main teams in, whether it be Alabama, whether it be, you know, Michigan or probably Gonzaga and Baylor, of course, look still look the best to me, then you're still in good shape here in your tournament challenge. But, you know, as far as right now here, I mean, the big surprise is Oral Roberts, amazing, very low seed coming into the Sweet 16, you know, reminds me a little bit of Florida Gulf Coast, reminds me a little bit of George Mason, of course, George Mason went farther. And then you have a big disappointments with Illinois losing to Loyola, they look like a terrible team in that game. And, really cold and and actually texas looked terrible too i mean they're they're the big 12 champion and georgetown was the big east champion so that whole narrative of uh, winning your conference championship hasn't really looked so well for some of the power five schools so you know uh, no no massive surprises i guess maybe illinois losing but loyal is a great team i mean they've been a top 15 ken palm team for a long time now so I mean, there's that. So it's, I'm having a great time because uh, we're, you know, we're we're trying to bet as best as we can. And from a betting standpoint, we're 29, 17, and one at 63% against the spread in totals here, up 14 units. So had a great weekend of betting. Oh, that's definitely great to hear. Congratulations to you guys for that. And you know, the, the thing about the Big Ten here, and, and I want to get your take on this real quickly before we move on to talking about some of the conferences that have been impressive. I speculated on yesterday's show with Kyle Hunter, and I certainly encourage everyone to check that out. We broke down all of the Sweet 16 games on that segment there yesterday with Kyle. But you know, one of the things that I kind of talked about was at this time of the year, you know, for the Big Ten teams, when you sort of look at what's happened to a lot of them, 
really just a complete lack of energy. You know, there were some teams that just, you know, obviously didn't perform up to their capabilities from an efficiency standpoint, but a lot of these teams, they just looked tired. They just looked like, you know, they weren't able to adjust to a different style of play than what they had seen all season long for Ohio state playing four games in four days, then playing on Friday. No, they just didn't have any energy whatsoever in that game against Oral Roberts. I feel like the difficulties of each and every game of the regular season just wound up taking a lot out of the conference. And that's not an excuse. I don't think, I think it's just a reality that those teams got to this point, you know, they're staying in the Indianapolis area where they had already been for the big 10 tournament and all of that. And they just weren't able to, to stack up from an intensity standpoint. And I think that's as big of a reason as any. You know, a lot of people think fatigue is physical, you know, and in my opinion, it's more mental going through a grind of a season like the Big Ten. All these teams are extremely good, you know, and then now they go into the NCAA tournament, just like Ohio, you said with Ohio State playing all those four games. That's that's tough. I mean, that's that's very difficult. Michigan State had a grind at the end, and uh, you see them falter to UCLA. I kind of choked it away a little bit with the last minute left. You know, you saw what <laughs> the champion, Big Ten champion Illinois had left. It's mental. These kids are mentally tired. I think the Big Ten should take a look at this and possibly do something a little bit different, you know, similar to what the SEC does. Maybe you end your conference tournament on Saturday, you know, Maybe start making some adjustments to give your kids just a little bit more time because there's a big part of mental fatigue that came into this tournament for the Big Ten. And, I, and I'm actually uh, chalking that up to more than physical because these are still young kids, but uh, it's a big mental uh, stress to get into this tournament. Well, certainly we have the underwhelming conferences, but we have some conferences that have also done really, really well here in this tournament so far. And, and obviously the Pac-12, the one that stands out. Yeah, it's funny about the Pac-12 is uh, – they are not who we thought they were <laughs> coming into this tournament. And I'm glad I kind of, you know, held off on fading them. I think a lot of people that had bad weekends were, was really trying to fade the Pac-12 here. But the reason that we, a lot of people came into thinking that is because when Oregon State won that tournament, won that Pac-12 tournament, people are thinking, oh man, these USC's, Oregon's, you know, Colorado's, these teams are worse than we thought even, you know, and, and that was the narrative in people's minds. But apparently it was just Oregon State was just massively hot and they beat some teams that were much better than people thought. So, I mean, it became dangerous for people trying to fade it. You saw that Tennessee spread keep going up seven, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half, nine, you know. Uh, it, 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 that was the narrative, and apparently the Pac-12 is just as good as any other conference out there. Now, I'm not going to say that they're the best conference, uh, you know, because small sample size, obviously, and they didn't have the greatest non-conference earlier. But their their top teams are just as good as ACC or maybe the Big Ten or the SEC. You know, the the top three, four teams in the Pac-12 are just as good as anybody else because Gonzaga is in the West Coast Conference, you know. But what I might be able to say, Adam, is that the West Coast basketball, because of Gonzaga, might be better than East Coast basketball right now. Well, speaking of that Oregon State team, let's go ahead and start taking a look here at some of these Sweet 16 matchups. And Oregon State is in action in the first game coming up here on Saturday. This one, of course, coming out of the Midwest region where they take on Loyola Chicago. Loyola Chicago... Six and a half point favorite, pretty much market wide for this one. We did see some sixes yesterday, but those are pretty much off the board. Total here of 125 and a half. So we've got more than a two possession spread with a low total of 125 and a half. But after some initial interest in Oregon State, this one's gone back up to six and a half. I think it's going to bounce back and forth all week. And I found it very strange that Alabama started going up when they're playing UCLA which is, you know, number 24 on Ken Palm and Oregon state's like number 50 on Ken Palm Loyola is right next to Alabama ranked in the efficiency sites. And uh, you know, that was starting to go down. Well, it's starting to come back up again, but I suppose it's because of tempo people look at Alabama's pace of play and they're faster. So they should be able to have more possessions to cover the spread. And I do agree with that to some point, but still, I mean, Loyola's just exactly where Alabama is, but Oregon state is much lower than UCLA you know in my opinion this Loyola team is a little bit better than I thought and 
I, I, I faded them a little bit against Georgia Tech. Then the injury came through, and I was like, oh, that's great. Moses Wright is out, and Loyola proved everyone wrong. And, and I'm like, you know, that's we, we bet on Loyola pretty hard against Illinois, plus seven and a half, and that came through. It's just Loyola's just really buttoned up, and Porter Moser, man, what a fantastic coach. I, I, he needs a power five job. He's, he needs to make a lot of money coming in to next year. And I, I don't think Loyola can afford to keep that guy, but I think here Loyola at least has been ranked in the top 12 on Ken Palm for a month or longer. Oregon state's been kind of playing out of their minds, but if you look at the trend line, you know, it, it's shot way up. Are they due for some regression is really the question that I ask myself here, you know, and I think, I think they are. You know, it, it's hard to believe that that these Beavers are doing what they're they're doing right now. But you know, in saying this, their last two games, Tennessee shot thirty three percent, Oklahoma State couldn't hit anything. They shot twenty seven percent, and yes, the Beavers probably stepped it up in defense. But I trust Loyola more. I trust Krutwig to make some inside the paint shots. He's really good in the paint, and I trust them to you know him to kick it out for three and Loyola to hit some threes here. So to be honest with you, I have Loyola win this game by seven points anyway, 65 to 58, which I guess makes the total of 123, which I'll probably lean a little bit to the under here. But I think Loyola wins between three and 15 points. And these lines are all sharper now, Adam. I mean, you only have, you know, eight games in the total tournament right now. So they're going to be a little bit sharper. But I think a good way to look at it is kind of, you know, think to yourself, what's the final what what's the margin of victory between three and 15 well that makes me lean a little bit more towards the minus six minus six and a half so I might be a player on Loyola Adam yeah I like Loyola in this spot too as I talked about yesterday even with the low total you know Oklahoma State in that game they took 65 shots from the field yet scored 26 of their 70 points at the free throw line they could not make anything on two-point shots 10 of 36 only five of 16 at the rim So Oregon State got a little bit fortunate in that game, I would say. I do think we get some of that regression that you mentioned. I do think that Loyola Chicago is the play in that game there, even laying the six and a half. And also, too, as I talked about on yesterday's show, for Oregon State, the way that they're playing, you want to keep playing. You don't want to have to go four, five, six days without playing a game, trying to stay sharp in practice and all of that. You'd rather keep playing. You'd rather keep playing with one off day and then get back at it well, now they've got this extended downtime to sit there and think about this matchup that they have where Porter Moser will have a game plan for Oregon State. So that is one where you and I are at least in agreement in terms of your lean on the side, and we'll see what that total winds up looking like as we get closer to the game. Let's move up to the South region here where one of the three number one seeds remaining, the Baylor Bears, take on the Villanova Wildcats. This one's predominantly seven out there with Baylor favored. This was six and a half, got bet up to seven. Total now up to 140 and a half for this game as well. Kev, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I think when you look at this game, you have to think about what these teams are right now, right now today. I mean, Baylor's playing some great basketball, but I am also going to say that Wisconsin had their chances. They had some open looks from three and they missed too many of them. And I guess that's just from some regression when they couldn't miss at all against North Carolina and scored like 80 some points, which is not typical for a Wisconsin team, but they also lost the turnover margin 14 to four. I think we all know who Baylor is. Um, I mean, the sample size for Baylor is I like how consistent they were at least until their COVID pause and how good they looked. They're blowing away big 12 competition. And when they had that one non-conference game earlier against Illinois, they beat them by 13 points. I believe that was on a neutral court too. So we know who Baylor is. You know, Villanova has been playing some great basketball, but they put up some stinkers this year, even when Gillespie was playing. And he's kind of the heart and soul of their team, you know, the point guard. And I think they have it coming that they're going to hit some regression. And and Jay Wright has just, you know, kept them in this tournament, in my opinion, and motivated them properly. But (laughs) I mean, seriously though, Adam, was their road that hard to get here? I mean, 97 Winthrop on Ken Palm, number 71, North Texas. And in North Texas, when they beat Purdue, Purdue couldn't hit water falling out of a boat. So, I mean, Villanova is a great team for not turning the ball over. I think they're number one, 13.2% of the time. But Baylor is a ball hawking team, ranking third, forcing turnovers at 24.7% of all possessions, you know. 
just from the straight turnover margin, Baylor's better, even though uh, Villanova turns the ball over less. Baylor just steals the ball so well. I actually have Baylor winning the game 79 to 70, but it's not even just the side. I mean, this has already gotten up to seven. It's not like I'm running into the window here to try to bet Baylor because I have a two-point discrepancy here. The totals, more often any of my totals in the first round even, I, I have about an eight to nine-point discrepancy because I have 149 here. I think both teams are efficient. I think Villanova is going to get some points, and I think that there should be some turnovers in this game as well. You know, Baylor plays a pretty fast pace here, you know. So I think the total's way off. I, I took the over as a, as a pretty big play here, and that's what I'll give out here on the podcast. Yeah, I like this look too. This was one that Kyle was also in agreement with yesterday saying that, you know, looks like both of these teams are going to get theirs in this game. And I don't think this happens. I don't think we get some crazy 180 from Jay Wright. But if I'm Villanova here, honestly, I go into this game and I want to do what Oregon did against Iowa. I want to just run. I want to see if I can outscore Baylor because the one big thing about Baylor is that while their defensive metrics for the year look pretty good since their COVID pause they have not played well on the defensive end for the most part so maybe if I'm Villanova I say you know what let's run let's make this a three-point contest and sort of see what happens here and I know of course Baylor number one in the country in three-point percentage but Villanova also takes a lot more threes than Baylor does so if I'm Jay Wright I kind of look at this and I go you know what we're not very good defensively We're outside the top 200 in both two-point percentage and three-point percentage defense. Maybe my best hope is to pull an Oregon and try to go out there and hang 90 and see if Baylor can keep up with me. So I don't know. I don't think that there's a chance that that happens, but I'd be rooting for it. And again, I'm also rooting for you guys on the over for this one as well. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, yeah, I mean, this was the first thing that uh, stuck out to me when uh, I was handicapping these games. So good stuff. All right, so let's go to this Oral Roberts and Arkansas game here on Saturday. Arkansas laying 11 and a half pretty much across the board. Now, you can still find an 11 with some extra juice if you want to take Arkansas. If you like Oral Roberts, this line does seem to be going up a little bit. So maybe you kind of want to wait on this one. Total sitting 159 for this 725 Eastern tip. And look, Oral Roberts is a great story. They've got Asmus and O'Banner that are both playing very, very well. These two teams did play each other earlier on in the year. Arkansas won that game by 11. I think 163 was where the total wound up falling for that game uh, with an 87-76 win for Arkansas. So basically, you know, the side is right where that first game wound up, the total a little bit lower, which isn't surprising because this is an NCAA tournament game. But what are you thinking about Oral Bob and Arkansas here? Oh, Cinderella, Oral Roberts, man. Oh. They are the most electrifying team already just of this conference. Just because of what 15 seed here in the sweet 16, it was so fun betting on them and it was so fun rooting for them. You know, I was with a group of friends. We went to cold beer and cheeseburgers just for the first round at lunch. And Oh man, the whole, that whole place was just loud. It was just, it was so fun to root for them. I'm so happy that they're here, but in saying that, I'm not sure if I like them here and I, I'm going to disagree a little bit. Well, maybe, maybe not, immediately here but i think there's a lot of people laying in the cut here adam that want to bet oral roberts and i think that they're going to do it i kind of think they're going to be kind of that trendy dog here but here's the thing if you look at the box scores here the reason for oral roberts success was really the turnover margin they don't play a lot of defense ohio state should have been shooting over 50 percent here same with florida but ohio state turned the ball over 16 times to their six times, you know, they're launching threes and getting long rebounds. Things just turned out well for Oral Roberts. Florida turned it over 20 times to Oral Roberts, 12 times. That's plus eight in turnover margin. Can that keep up? I mean, that's not really likely here. Now, Arkansas is a complete team. If you look at them, complete. They don't have a much weakness there at all. Yeah, they've, they've kind of started against Colgate slow, but when they kind of turned it on, you saw what they were. And I feel like this could be another Colgate-type game, you know? I mean, Arkansas ranks 10th in defense here. Oral Roberts ranks 234th. Arkansas is a better shooting team in a much harder conference, 45.3%, 44.3%. I mean, with Arkansas's speed here 
and how they play fast, I think there's going to be some extra possessions in this game. I have Arkansas winning at 88 to 74. I, I think, I think they cover and I'm going to wait on this one because I, I have a, I have a sneaky feeling that this could get to 10 and a half, maybe even a 10, but uh, I kind of lean towards Arkansas right now for the podcast. Well, and, and as you mentioned, I mean, Ohio state minus 10 in turnover margin, they missed nine free throws in that game and still wound up taking it to overtime. And you know, yeah, it's, it's not a great thing for the Buckeyes to take a team like Oral Roberts to overtime, but they did, as you said, throw away a lot more possessions. You know, they squandered opportunities at the free throw line. They were five of 23 from three. So Oral Roberts, you know, did get probably Ohio State's worst performance of the season, or at least one of them at a very opportune time. And I was never a big believer in Florida anyway. So I'm, I'm not super surprised to see that outcome necessarily. I would be surprised to see Oral Roberts advance here. I do think getting 11 in a game that's probably going to be pretty jump shot oriented kind of makes me lean towards the Oral Roberts side, but I don't really have a strong opinion on this one. And unfortunately it sounds like you have a little bit stronger of a take than I do here Mm -hmm. on today's segment. One more game here for Saturday. And this one down in the Midwest region between Syracuse and Houston. As we look at this one here, Not much movement in either side or total for this game. Still Houston minus six across the board. Total 140. You may find a little bit higher than that somewhere. Uh, I see Chris in the offshore market dealing 140 and a half, but just not as much early movement, not as much early interest in this late game here on Saturday, Kiev. No, not a ton. And I understand why. I mean, Houston's not the best shooting team here. It, It showed against Rutgers. We had Rutgers and, uh, a big spread on it and Rutgers really gave up the game at the end. And I wasn't shocked when they did that either, because that's kind of what Rutgers does. Um, I mean, Syracuse have been shooting out of their minds though, right? 50% from three, of their last two games, 49.4% overall, their last three games. It's pretty, pretty amazing what Bayheim's been doing with this team as a motivator. You know, what a, what a great coach for, tournaments i mean he he just never ceases to surprise me that's why i hate betting against syracuse in these situations man you know houston's had their stinkers away from home this year but they've been a consistent top 10 team throughout the nation while syracuse we we thought they were going to miss the whole tournament a couple weeks ago you know we were like is it louisville or syracuse or neither is kind of what we were asking about the acc but I mean, Houston can defend the three-pointer better. That, that's that's what worries me for Syracuse, ranking 12th in the nation, allowing 29.2% to go in. Now, they pl- also play in a bad shooting conference, so but it's still high. They're still doing well against the three. Syracuse, hot and cold all year. Right now they're hot, but would it really surprise you to see them getting blown out here? It, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I've also seen Houston just, mangle teams if they feel like they get they have an advantage they start hitting their shots you know you saw them against Cincinnati in their conference championship here I I am a little bit worried that they did win their conference championship too but it's not like it's a power five conference and they had a really easy slate all year so I'm less worried here but here's the thing I'm going to lean to the under here you know, I, I think because Houston can stop the three, I think Houston does not want to run. I don't think they run, run, want to run back and forth with Syracuse. I think that could be a weakness for them. And I, I, I think Houston kind of keeps it. Uh, I, I think Syracuse can keep it close. I, I have Houston winning 73 to 65. So my total is 138. But I'm not sure if I want to bet a side. I don't want to fade Bayheim here. And I, I don't want to go against Houston either. So I'm going to give you a lean to the under. I like Houston in this one. Like I talked about on yesterday's show, I mean, that massive offensive rebounding and versus defensive rebounding gap for Houston is so big. So even if they don't shoot the ball well, and they're not a super efficient shooting team to begin with, even if they don't shoot the ball well, they're going to get second chance opportunities in this game. There's no question about that. So I do like Houston a little bit here. I think the fact that you know, Houston gets a few days to kind of play against this zone in practice, sort of figure some things out that way, you know, maybe does help them a little bit, but also this is a fade of Syracuse. And, and like you talked about, I mean, look, they're shooting 50% from three through two games in this tournament. They were 14 of 29 in their ACC tournament win over North Carolina state. They're just shooting the lights out at the best time of the year to do that. And I do think there's a good chance that that does regress here in this game. 
against a long Houston defense, a Houston defense that will come out and challenge some of those looks. This is probably my strongest play of Saturday is to take a look at Houston. And it is scary to fade Bayheim. There's no question about that. But I think this is probably the right kind of spot to do that. And I have a lean to Houston because I have it at eight. So, right. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, lean towards your side for sure. How much of it is at this time of the year playing your numbers versus, you know, just using the numbers as, as kind of part of the handicap. It's huge. I mean, I think you adjust your numbers as you see some of these teams, but you also look for overreaction spots too. You know, there's a lot of idea, you know, people have different ideas coming in and now everyone thinks the PAC 12 is so great. Well, that's, that makes me want to go against it a little bit because the numbers are not going to be nearly what they were before. Right. So I kind of try to do that and I I don't overreact to my numbers and I also don't underreact. I think I have a system where I can make them almost where they're supposed to be. And a lot of times I agree with the Vegas spread, which sucks. And you have to pass on that. And that's why I said, I think a lot of these lines are sharp, you know, you know, maybe instead of taking a big favorite, like a Loyola or a Baylor, maybe you put them together on a money line parlay to have a little fun. You know, I mean, you're going to get a probably minus 120 If you did that, you put uh, uh, two minus six teams, just money lines. So you're looking at maybe minus, you know, 200 something you're, you're going to get, you know, almost even money. I'm doing something like that when the spreads are tight. So, but yeah, I think, I think my, I, I, I trust my numbers and I think it's important to realize that there's teams that are candidates for regression here. Oral Roberts is one Oregon state is one Syracuse is one. Well, and to your point here, as I'm looking at Haslam metrics, he's got about Houston minus 6.4 in this game, but Bart Torvik has Houston minus 7.8. So, you know, your number is up there at eight Torvik around eight. I'm not sure where Ken Palm is. I don't have it up in front of me right now, but that's the thing is that this line probably is depressed a little bit from where it would have been pre-tournament because of what Syracuse has done being that narrative buster and all of that. So, you know, maybe the orange just happened to find something happened to find their stride, but from a line value standpoint, relative to where this would have been going into the tournament, if you were projecting all these numbers out, Houston would have been a bigger favorite. So this number has been adjusted based on Syracuse, whether it's public perception, betting action, or just simply how they've looked here so far. I also think when the lines open, they knew, you know, they're not going to bring it to eight because they just know that everyone's going to pound Syracuse and it leaves the books exposed a little bit. And, you know, the sharps will know that it's going to go down. Then they'll try to middle it. I think it was strategic. And, and Ken Palm does have eight, by the way. So it seems like everyone's pretty close on that one. All right, so let's go over to Sunday here, the next round of the Sweet 16 games. And we start up in the West region with an early tip-off for Gonzaga. This one, uh, 210 Eastern time, but they've been in Indianapolis, so it's not like we have to worry about time changes or or anything like that here. Uh, Creighton, you know, nail-biter against UCSB. Then they take advantage of an Ohio team that just seemed to run out of gas in the second half. And it speaks to what we kind of talked about already, about you know teams that make this big conference tournament run whether they do it and improve their seed lines or do it to make it into the tournament, it does wind up taking a lot out of a team. And it certainly seemed to take a lot out of the Ohio Bobcats in that second round game against Creighton. But Gonzaga, 13 and a half point favorite here. Big old number, total predominantly 158 across the board. What are you thinking about the first game on Sunday, Kiev? Well, I, who wants to fade Gonzaga? <laughs> I mean, I tried. That was one of my losses. I had Oklahoma and Oklahoma's covering. They're down by nine or 10 points with a minute 30 left. And then they lose the ball and commit a flagrant foul. Couldn't score coming back. I mean, I think your, your chances of covering were more than 90% at that point. And I was just like, are you kidding me, man? Well, it, I think I was on the right side of it, but I think Gonzaga just gets better. <laughs> I mean, I thought Oklahoma was a good spot because I just kind of looked at the pressure against Gonzaga and, of being undefeated, but they kind of got past that now. I, I don't want to fade them here, but here's another total that seems a little bit low to me, in my opinion. You know, one thing I do know is Creighton is better than all the teams that they have faced minus Iowa. And that game went to 187 points. Gonzaga ranks second in seconds per possession, and Creighton ranks 42nd at seconds per possessions. I mean, this is out of like almost 350 teams this year, right? 
That's fast. And Gonzaga is scoring 90 points against teams when they're statistically final. You know, even when they're statistically final and they're running the clock for the last five minutes, they're scoring 90. I don't know how Gonzaga doesn't get to 90 points this game, you know. And if Creighton gets to 70, that's an over. That's 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 Gonzaga winning by 20, and you're already at over, you know. Gonzaga, I have Gonzaga win 91 to 76, but you're going to get a team total on Gonzaga that's around 86 points or something like that. I think the team total is money. And I actually like the over here, man. I think it's a, I think the over is my second biggest uh, play of the tournament. You know, this one's kind of intriguing because, you know, this one's at Hinkle Fieldhouse, a place that Creighton plays at pretty much every year. So they are a lot more familiar with the venue. That could be something that benefits them particularly being a jump shooting team, as we've talked about a lot here. Uh, one thing that is concerning is Creighton can't make a free throw. I don't know how you're a jump shot oriented team and shoot 64.3% at the free throw line, but you know that would be something that could potentially hurt them a little bit here. Although Gonzaga does play good defense without falling. So there is that. The one thing that I kind of started thinking about with this game is, you know, for Gonzaga here, I mean, you talk about the pressure of still being an undefeated team the pressure now of, you know, you're at this sweet 16 point and, and this is where things have gotten a little bit challenging for you. You know, getting deeper into this tournament, the elite eight, the sweet 16, losing in the finals in 2017, you know, does that mental block kind of show up a little bit here? Not to the point where they lose to Creighton because they're not going to lose this game. I'd be stunned if they did, but to cover a big old number here of 13 and a half points, that's what I sort of wonder. Does Gonzaga come out tight? Do they wind up, you know, coming out playing that freewheeling style where they just go out there and dominate everybody? Can Mark Few kind of get this team in the right mindset? That I don't know. So I'm kind of talking myself a little bit into Creighton first half and then Gonzaga probably just blowing the doors off of them in the second half. But it is something I'm kind of thinking about in particular here, you know, I don't know how this one's going to set up. We might have to wait until right before tip time to find out. But if Creighton is going into the sun in the second half with that glare at Hinkle Fieldhouse, if it's a nice day in Indianapolis on Sunday, then yeah, that could be curtains for Creighton. But if they're going into the shaded closed side, then maybe they hang around in the first half of this game. So that's kind of what I'm starting to think about. That could be curtains. That's good, man. <laughs> I like it. You know Hinkle Fieldhouse well, man, and where Butler plays. That's that's good stuff. And yeah, Crane's used to it there. I, it's, you know, they, I forgot to think about that. So thank you. And I, I think that even gives me more of an argument toward the over here. I think if they can get hot, I mean, what if what if Gonzaga runs into a buzzsaw? You know, just one of those times that the team shoots sixty five percent from the field. I, that that could happen to anybody. And, and they would have to score a lot to keep up with that. You know, this could be one of those situations. So, um, yeah. You, you well, know, and that's a good point, too, because then, you know, if Creighton goes, you know, apeshit in the first half of this game, then you can, you know, second half under, or maybe you have some sort of middle opportunity, something like that. But as you said, if Creighton is going gangbusters in the first half, that forces Gonzaga to play, you know, as fast as they usually do, if not faster they could very well have a 55-point second half or something like that in this game. Right, and the venue itself might give Creighton the power, I guess, just to, to keep it going. You know, they, 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 this is kind of their, their backyard almost. So, man, that's, yeah, great, great points on this one. All right, so let's go to the second game here on Sunday, and that's Florida State and Michigan. And this one's down to two-and-a-half market-wide. This was something Kyle Hunter suggested on our Tuesday show when we talked about these Sweet 16 games, saying that, you know what, three is probably the best you're going to get on Florida State, and that does appear to be the case here with two-and-a-half mostly market-wide and 143-and-a-half on the total. And, you know, it it makes me wonder here, Kiev, is this an anti-Big Ten position? Is this an anti-Michigan position? Is this a buy on a Florida State team that is very athletic, is very long, I just, I'm wondering what the mindset is behind this move. And again, it's not public money on a, on a Tuesday, Wednesday. It is not public money at all. This is a sharp move on the Seminoles. It is a sharp move. And I took it at three, wondering if it was going to go down. Of course, I was wishing it would go up, but I didn't get to give it out, unfortunately. So now I'm 
waiting at it again. And here's the thing. Florida State's about a four-point dog to a healthy Michigan team, according to the Ken Palms, which is what these books seem to really lean towards, right? That, that, I'm not saying that's wrong, but the adjustment is one point for livers, and it goes down to three. And that's when the handicap actually comes in. You know, the handicap in this game is seriously Florida State's size. And if they can stop Hunter Dickinson with that size, if they can stop Franz Wagner with that size, well, Hunter Dickinson and Franz Wagner is, is going to have a hell of a time getting over those guys. They're not used to big guys minus Coffee Cockburn and maybe Luca Garza in the Big Ten. They're, I mean, the Big Ten forwards have been weak all year in every single team. You know, this is going to be a, a much more challenging game for them to get cleanups and things like that. So I, th- I think the I agree with the move here. And um, and it's part of the reason why I also had Florida State in my bracket in the final four, you know, beating Michigan here in this spot. So, I mean, I've also seen Michigan and their ball movement is fantastic. But I just, I can't trust Michigan without livers. And I can't trust the fact that they lost three of their last five games here. Even at the two and a half, Adam, I'm going to lean towards Florida state here. And they, I think they could win this game outright. Leonard Hamilton is seven and two against the spread as a dog with five outright wins in the NCAA tournament here in this situation. Well, and you talked about it with Ohio state too. And and this is something that maybe we didn't put enough stock, didn't put enough emphasis into coming into this tournament is the Buckeyes didn't take care of the basketball against Oral Roberts and didn't force turnovers. And most of the teams here in the big 10 don't force turnovers. I mean, the style of play in this conference, most of the offenses take care of the ball. So a lot of these teams are in the 300s in turnover percentage on defense. They don't get those extra possessions. And that has been a problem for a lot of Big Ten teams here so far in this NCAA tournament. And you wonder if that ends up being the kiss of death for Michigan. Because when you look at the two games they've played here so far, they had three turnovers they had three takeaways against LSU they had 10 against Texas Southern a Texas Southern team that you know look they played out in the south in the SWAC conference where turnovers happen with regularity and they turned it over on a fifth of their possessions this year and Michigan only has 10 takeaways in 72 possessions so if they're not going to take the ball away from this Florida State offense that's going to really put the pressure and the onus on this Wolverines offense to keep pace. And I'm not sure that happens, particularly, as you said, if Hunter Dickinson is neutralized in this game. Yes. And I forgot, and I should have mentioned this. I actually wrote this down. Michigan does rank only 337th on defense, forcing turnovers, only 14% of possessions. And that's the way to beat Florida state. You saw Georgia tech do it. They had 25 to seven turnovers. Well, if Michigan's not doing it, that's just another check against them. And that's also why I, I, I lean the Florida State at the plus two and a half. And one thing I will say here, just in general, something to file away for the upcoming college basketball season is that I've seen a lot of line movement this year in, in a very simplified handicap of just looking at turnover percentage on offense and defense. And the team that's expected to win the turnover battle has been getting steamed in a lot of these games. And it's kind of carried over into the NCAA tournament as well, but I especially saw it a lot during the regular season. So just something for listeners to file away. And and maybe that's part of the movement here down to two and a half in this game, but the team expected to win the turnover battle, mostly expected to force more turnovers is the team that's kind of taken some of the early money here throughout this college basketball season. So that is something for everyone to file away as well. No, good stuff. Baylor's one of one, for example, right there. All right, so let's take a look at the next game here. UCLA and Alabama down in the East region, the other of the Sweet 16 games in that part of the bracket here. And Alabama's starting to grow a little bit as a favorite now, Kiev. This one up to six and a half at a lot of places market-wide. 145 and a half the total predominantly for this one here. And, and you've got to think, you know, the higher scoring this game is projected to be, the better off Alabama probably is in that environment. Oh, for sure. Bama has a very high pace. And I mean, they looked a little bit kind of shell-shocked against Iona and Iona covered that game. And then Maryland looked great against UConn. And then, I mean, Alabama schooled them. 
1.443 points per possession in that game for Alabama. Oh my dude. That is just ridiculous. That's Gonzaga numbers right there. (laughs) But who is UCLA? I I think that's the biggest thing we have to ask ourselves in this whole handicap here. I mean, are they the team that lost four games in a row before this tournament or before the, the, uh, yeah, actually before this tournament, they lost three in a row, then lost to Oregon state in their PAC 12 tournament. Or are they the team that made the sweet 16 here? You know, (laughs) I think the answer might be a little bit in the middle, but it's more shaded to that. They're that team that lost the four games. You know, what's this line a week ago, Adam, seven, eight, 10, probably not, probably nine or 10. UCLA lost a few key players throughout the season. Some younger, younger guys really stepped it up, but UCLA has had a pretty easy road to the sweet 16. They faced a bad Michigan State team and then an overrated BYU team. In my opinion, they were overrated. And then Abilene Christian instead of Texas. Think about that road. I think Alabama's got upside, meaning I could see Alabama winning this game between five and like 18 points, right? So I I think the upside is going to force me a bet into Alabama, but I'm really wondering how much money is going to come in on UCLA. Is there going to be, is this going to be a public dog type situation where I can get a better number? So uh, I'm going to sit and wait a little bit on this one, but it's most likely Bama. Yeah. And and the thing for UCLA here, you know, we just talked about with the big 10, those teams don't force turnovers. Michigan state did not force turnovers in that game against UCLA in the play in game. Uh, UCLA only eight turnovers in that one out of 72 possessions, BYU, another team that doesn't force turnovers, 326th in the nation in turnover percentage. So UCLA only turns the ball over four times in that game over the 60 possessions. Abilene Christian does force turnovers, but they didn't have much left in the tank. They played such a tough physical game against Texas. That was one where you've got that little brother versus big brother situation. And if you pull that upset, it is very hard to emotionally refocus and play in that next game. You know, if Ohio had beaten Ohio state instead of oral Roberts or something like that, the Bobcats would have had a very difficult time in that second game because you beat that big name team in your state. And then it's very hard for you to come back and give a similar effort in that second game. And Abilene of course was not able to do that. I think Alabama, and this is a really important thing. I think about NCAA tournament handicapping, I think Alabama can make UCLA uncomfortable. You know, you look at the three games UCLA has played here so far, they weren't uncomfortable. The kind of games that they want to play, a 72-possession game in overtime, 60 with BYU, 63 with Abilene Christian. Alabama will make them uncomfortable. Alabama will go up and down the floor. And I think that that's one of those things where when you get taken out of your comfort zone in these games with magnified importance – that's when teams struggle. And, and I agree with this move on Alabama. I really do. Yeah. Plus UCLA doesn't have the depth to keep going up and down the floor when guys are getting tired too. So, you know, add that to it, you know, you know, the, the reason I, part of the reason why I was hoping is that, you know, Ken Palm's got it at a four point victory here. And I think Torvik isn't too far off from that. I think it's close to the same. So I was kind of hoping with a public dog line move on UCLA, but I'm, I, I'm not so sure I'm going to get it. Um, so I, I wouldn't I would have a problem with firing at six. It's a, I see at six some books right now. I, I have no problem with that. All right, so the last game here of the Sweet 16, Oregon and USC. And, you know, I thought it was interesting at the outset that USC installed as a favorite here in this game, a one-point favorite, a lot of helium, a lot of support for the Oregon Ducks, particularly once they got healthy over the course of the season. And then this one opens up. And you've got USC, the slight favorite. And maybe that had something to do with just a systematic you know, dismantling of Kansas in that second round game. But I thought, okay, that's fair. USC minus one, you know, the, the better body of work over the course of the season. And then this one went up to two and a half. And I thought, okay, that's a, that's a very, very loud, sharp move in this game. Start wondering, you know, is it on air? Is it to try and get a better Oregon number? whether it's the money line or something else as we go throughout the week. How do you interpret what we've seen here so far with this one effectively going up from minus one to minus two and a half in the total sitting 139 and a half? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that it's really too bad that these two teams had to meet up here 
you know, especially if you're a Pac-12 guy, you know, a Pac-12 is nine and one in the tournament so far. And now one of them has to eliminate one another. But at least the good news, you got one guaranteed in the Elite Eight, right? <laughs> so yeah. you, can, you can look at it that way. Um, great question. And well, the metrics, I suppose, on the efficiency sites has USC by four, but then you have to look at Oregon at, at times during the season, they didn't have some of their best guys. It was kind of sprinkled through the whole season that there was a guy missing. So their metrics are probably a little bit better. So maybe two and a half is uh, the correct spread and to, uh, according to that. But here, the biggest thing for me is looking at these coaches. I mean, Dana Altman is 15-5-1 since 2006 in the tournament. And uh, uh, I, I keep forgetting his name. Andy, USC. Andy Enfield. Yes, Enfield. He is 9-0 and right now. And a couple of those were when he was way back for Florida Gulf Coast. So I, I got to tell you, man betting against these coaches is something you do not want to do in the tournament. And then now they're facing each other. It's like, what do you do? My question is how, how is Dana Altman going to send his squadron to battle here? USC isn't exactly like Iowa, right? Who, if they miss and don't get a rebound, uh, the other teams granted a really easy score in transition. And Oregon obviously knew that you saw them running up and down the floor, but you see USC packs it in better on defense. But one thing I will say is when USC faced another, you know, efficient team like Colorado, they could figure them out. I don't know why that is, but Oregon, I mean, they, they, they're probably going to shoot more three pointers. And the thing that takes me away from USC here is that they don't defend the three as well. They only rank 160th on Ken Palm against the three. They allow 33.6 to go in and Oregon ranks 18th in three point percentage at 37.9 and some of those games was without some of their key guys man you know i mean if if you're looking at stats like that you have to understand that guys like duarte is going to make more threes right uh, you know that that uh figueroa he was fantastic against iowa so is altman going to send the dogs is, is he going to r- make usc run I, i'm a little concerned for that i don't want to bet this game Adam, I don't. I, I'm a lean to the under a little bit because I think USC could cause some problems on defense. So they're going to do a much better job on defense than Iowa did. So I'm a lean to the under on this one. Yeah, I think it's a really good question. You know, we we saw Dana Altman pull something new out of the tool bag and, and just you know dare Iowa to stop him, and they couldn't do it. I mean, they scored 95, and they frankly could have scored even more than that. They kind of let off a little bit late in the game, but you know that was an interesting wrinkle from Dana Altman to say the least. To speed that game up to go ahead and say, you know what? Luca Garza can score whatever he wants. We're going to stop everybody else. And that's how we're going to win the game. And they did. And like you said, and like I just talked about with regards to the UCLA and Alabama game, I think there's something to be said at this time of the year. If you've got a team you can trust, making the opposition uncomfortable is not a bad strategy. And if Oregon wants to try and speed USC up in this game and they succeed, well, maybe that works out in their favor. Maybe if they get the Mobleys running up and down the floor, tire those two guys out, get them off the floor a little bit, maybe that gives Oregon a much easier path. So I don't know. The first game played to 62 possessions. I would assume Altman wants to go faster than that in this game. But that's the thing is, you know, there's a lot of unknown, despite the fact that we've got familiarity between these two teams. And I do lean the under as a result of that familiarity. But even though we've got familiarity here, You've got to think that Altman, you know, sort of counterpunching against Iowa has to have Andy Edfeld sitting there thinking, what kind of game are they going to play against us? And I think it's really intriguing television Sunday night. It's very intriguing. If, and if Oregon's hitting that three, this over's toast. Or I mean, the under's toast and the over's going to hit. That's, what, that's what's keeping me off it right there. You know, I, th- I think that Oregon's a really good three-point shooting team and uh, that might be where they attack because – Altman smart enough to look into the metrics. So that's my concern. All right. So we went through all eight games here in the sweet 16, but I know there was something you wanted to talk about with regards to the NCAA tournament and the futures market that's out there and and some of the things that you've found and some of the things that you've observed. Well, you know, I, I I, I always look at the futures markets every single week and there's nothing in my opinion, that's even close to worth taking. And to be honest with you, Arkansas at 20 to one is probably your best odds that you're going to get, because think about it. 
Gonzaga is the only favorite bigger than Arkansas to get in the Elite Eight. You have to factor that in. What's Arkansas? They're a top 15 team. You know, they're not that much different than Loyola's ranking or or Houston or Villanova, Florida State. I mean, they're 15 on Ken Palm. They're up or down at other sites. It just depends upon what your thoughts are in the SEC in general, which has proven to be pretty dang good. You know, so, I, I mean, you got a 12-point favorite here coming in. But at the same time, on a money line rollover, you know, I figured them out that you can get 50 to one if they win the tournament against Gonzaga, you know, because, you know, obviously this is, only, you can almost even not even bet them here. They're going to be like, you're, you're going to get like 20 bucks to your hundred dollar bet, right? If you're lucky, but you know, you start and then you're against Baylor. They're going to be a five, six point dog. You're looking at at least plus 200 and then they're going to be you know, you're, you're going to roll that over, take what you bet and your profit from that. And then they're going to be facing like a Houston or Loyola where it'd be even money. But then you take that, you roll that over again, and then you're facing Gonzaga. You're getting like six to one, seven to one, at least. I mean, Creighton's at what? Seven plus 700, I think against Gonzaga right now. So at least, at least plus 600 here. I mean, you're going to be at 50 to one pretty quick. And also if you're not facing Gonzaga and you're facing a Florida state of Michigan or an Alabama or something, you're still going to be about plus plus one twenty-five, plus one fifty, which should bring you to 20 to one, even if you don't face Gonzaga. So my point is that, is that the futures absolutely suck at the prices that they're at. But if there was one, you had to take, it'd probably be Arkansas. But the money line rollover still is better with them because Gonzaga is just such a massive favorite over everybody. Right, yeah, and I saw Eric Haslam from Haslametrics say that Gonzaga is basically, what, a six- or seven-point favorite over Baylor on a neutral? Mm-hmm. So you know, this is a Gonzaga team that is an overwhelming favorite in every game it plays going forward. And the money line rollover thing, and we talk about this a lot, and you know, you can get into some very gory math with doing it, but even if you just ballpark these things, I'm not going to put a percentage on it, but far more often than not, the money line rollover is far more lucrative than whatever futures price is out there. Because when it comes to a futures price, you're dealing with the hold that the sports book wants on that futures market. And if you just roll it over, you know, you bet, you know, X to win Y in the first game, then you bet your winnings from that game on the next game, all of it, just, you know, go forward that way. And furthermore too, you know, another thing about it is, and we talk all the time about trying to hedge some of these tournament opportunities. And in fact, I had a listener question uh, regarding an Alabama future at 80 to one, you know, and kind of what to do with that here in this tournament, you get these difficult hedging questions when you've got a futures price. If you're able to just do a money line rollover, your hedge is to stop or simply not bet as much as you've already won. So the money line rollover is just so much more economical, both in terms of hedging, but also in terms of profit potential it is absolutely something people have to consider going forward in this bracket style format allows you to do it. Yeah. I mean, Alabama at this point in the sweet 16, you know, you have to hedge this. Uh, I wouldn't is, even hedge. This. Oh, oh, oh no, I won't. I won't. But that's my point. If you're going to hedge this, you at least get some uh, plus money on the other side, but then you're not going to get plus money against a Michigan or a Florida state. If you're lucky, you're get even money against Florida state. Right probably. And then, uh, then against Gonzaga, your hedge is going to be so massive. You're going to, you going to be in for like 25 or 30 to one. You're going to be in for 25 or 30 units by that point. If you even get past Gonzaga and then you're sitting here with your 80 to one ticket, and then you have to hedge that again, because you have to cover all those losses on your hedge. That's not easy to do. You're going to be right at, well, I shouldn't even did this. Right. So I I'd say, let, I'd say that Alabama looks really good and they have a good shot to get to the to the final four and then you start your hedge against Gonzaga and you'd be in for some profit if that's the point yeah I mean I guess a possibility is just take Gonzaga to win this thing at plus at plus one fifty five. hope Alabama gets you into the final four then you've got your Gonzaga hedge built in right there but you know e- even then with that I mean you know I told him look to me I think I think approaching Gonzaga to win it all is, is a good idea but I also look at that as kind of an independent bet too, because it's only a hedge of your Alabama future if they meet in the final four and Alabama right. should beat UCLA. 
But Alabama against Florida State, as you said, probably a pick them. Maybe Alabama plus one and a half, two against Michigan, something like that. So that's a toss-up game in the Elite Eight. So, yeah, I think having a piece of Gonzaga in pocket isn't a bad idea, but I'd also view it as more of an independent bet as opposed to a hedge at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. Look at it that way. If you lose your Alabama, then you'll have some options against Baylor anyway. Or if hopefully it's against like Oregon State or something or Arkansas, you know. I mean, it's probably going to be Baylor, but and that's why I'm not taking the money line rollover on Arkansas either. I just think it's between Baylor and Gonzaga. I'm I'm pretty convinced on that, but um I mean Alabama yeah, it's do look at it as independent because even if your Alabama craps out, you still got that bet, and it's still better than one to one. It's plus one fifty five. Take yeah, grab Gonzaga. Good, good call. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, look, I I don't think they lose, and and we've already established that they're at least a six point favorite over Baylor on a neutral, if not more, by the time the game rolls a lot rolls around, and they'd be a much bigger favorite over you know anybody else from that side of the bracket. So. Yeah, I think it definitely makes some sense there to take a look at Gonzaga. One thing that we haven't talked about probably enough on this show, largely for a couple of reasons. One, because it's you know so much different this year, the NIT. But two, you know, all the focus on the NCAA tournament, to be sure. But we do have NIT games coming up here on Thursday night. Mississippi State, Richmond, NC State, Colorado State, Boise State, and Memphis, and then La Tech and Western Kentucky. A couple of Conference USA teams going head-to-head there in the late game of the NIT, down in the state of Texas, of course, not at Madison Square Garden this year. But there was one play in the NIT for Thursday night that you had your eye on that you wanted to share with our listeners. Yeah, there is. And when you're looking at the NIT, the first question is motivation that you should be asking yourself. And if there is a Power 5 team, uh, or Power Conference, I guess the Big East Power Conference team, you know, you, would, you have to question, are they motivated? And NC State right now has told me that they're motivated here. I mean, the team has run five in a row before losing to Syracuse in the ACC tournament. And that Syracuse loss is looking a lot better now, isn't it? You know, so, um, and, and some of those teams that five in a row is Virginia, you know, great team, Notre Dame, good team, uh, you know, pretty good team anyway, Pitt, uh, you know, so NC State's a little bit better than the perception, you know, and, and the fact that they played Davidson and played in the, as hard as they did, you know, th- that just showed me they were motivated. Now, Colorado State's a decent team too. But we've also learned that the Mountain West didn't stand up too well in the tournament. Small sample size, but it's still a sample, right? I mean, look what happened to San Diego State. Look what happened to Utah State against Texas Tech. That's just kind of a mad team to me anyway. You know, I think NC State is, uh, is going to win this game because I also think that Kevin Keats is getting his team ready for next year. So I like NC State here for a couple stars here for a free NIT play. Yeah, taking a look at NC State, that one's, you know, this one's kind of hovered back and forth. We've had a flipped favorite uh, scenario where Colorado State was minus one. Now NC State minus one, minus one and a half. All depends on where you look for that one. But yeah, I agree. You know, a lot of people not really looking at the NIT. Maybe they will on Thursday. But, you know, conference strength, conference performance here in the NCAA tournament maybe can set, shed some light on some of those betting angles for the NIT. Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. You guys are doing a lot of great work over there. You've done a lot of great work breaking some stuff down with us on today's show as well. What's happening over at the website right now, man? Well, lots of plays coming in and it'd be NBA. We have a lot of NCAA stuff coming in as well. And Major League Baseball is starting, Adam. And with help from your amazing guide, we're going to jump right into MLB for the summer it's nice for a little change i'm excited for some baseball because it was so weird last year with the COVID and everything now we're going to get some fans back and and it's just going to be rolling so check us out listen to the podcast you know and uh if you if you want you can support us become a premium member at 24.99 a month and you get my plays when i make them and uh you know it's important to me to get them early and late you know before the line moves and way after the line moves so that's how we roll. And uh, otherwise, everybody enjoy the ter- uh, tournament. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to tweet us at the Oz Breakers. Always great to chat here with Kiev O'Neill at OB Kiev on Twitter. And I got it right today. I made sure I triple checked to make sure that I had that right at the Oz Breakers on Twitter as well. And make sure you follow Chris Farley as well. He does phenomenal work over at the Oz Breakers. But Kiev, thank you so much for the time today. As always, man, really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again next week.
All right. Have a great, have a great weekend, Adam. There you go. There's Kiev O'Neill once again, over at the odds breakers, the oddsbreakers.com. And you can follow him on Twitter with his personal account as well. Coming up on Thursday, we'll chat FCS college football and some more sweet 16. Maybe take a look at some projected elite eight matchups with Brad Powers, professional better and handicapper over at bradpowersports.com. Friday, I'll be doing a, a new edition of the betters box, taking a look at the national league West. I'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.